0: Hello everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and welcome to The Ziegler Show. In this episode, how to win Shark Tank, and you're going to listen whether you want to or not. If you have a business or are thinking of starting one, here is a show you're going to want to get equipped with. It's going to give you a powerful filter to structure your business or even just your idea around. So Pierce Mars, he's a true sales professional who started his career uh, in sales at age 19. Now at the age of 56, he's done over 250 million in sales. He's a student of what Zig calls the right way to sell with morals and ethics and putting the other's needs first. And as you'll hear, it's not just the right thing to do, but the most profitable. So we start the show talking really pure sales, including how Pierce's faith plays such a powerful role in his sales profession. But Pierce does more than just sell. He's owned several successful small businesses. He's a renowned business coach for almost 10 years. He's hosted the shark tank fan podcast. And from so closely auditing every episode, he's now written a book Could you survive Shark Tank? The shark's top seven questions every entrepreneur must answer. So we spend the second half of the show discussing the focus of the book, which are those seven key questions that Pierce realized are almost always asked by the sharks to every participant. So as we say in the show, this is for anyone in business, regardless of whether you need investor or outside money. It's just an incredibly valuable, as I said, filter to audit your business or idea against. So Pierce has his book, Could You Survive Shark Tank and the Surviving Shark Tank Assessment, at sharktankbook.com. You can also connect there with Pierce about his coaching and speaking. So we'll get started with Pierce Mars right after I let you know what else we've got for you and share some great products and services. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes Well, Pierce, man, it is so cool to have you on here. We have uh, known each other for a long time, and of course, you were a key figure with uh, Free Agent Academy back in the day when I had that helping entrepreneurs. And your expertise was sales. And as far as I know, I mean, as long as I've known you, you've been in sales. Has, has that been your vocation for the get, You know, for the for the long haul?
1: Yeah, I started when I was nineteen, and and I've been doing it for thirty-something years. It's been a uh, it's been the thing that's changed the whole direction of my family or, our, you know, ability to make an income and actually changed our legacy. It changes the way I think, uh, learning to deal with people, you know, that we've talked about that so much when I've been out to Colorado to visit and over at your dad's place here in Franklin, Tennessee, but it's been, uh, yeah, it's, it was a game changer for me when I was a kid and didn't know what I wanted to do. And, um, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute, but sales has been the center of everything I've done. And it's, uh, helped me in so many ways i can't even describe it's been great so you started started in
0: 19 what got you what got you involved in it uh anything specific or just kind of stumbled into it
1: well here's the thing this is that's a great story i'm glad you asked the what happened you know i was uh, 19 years old i was living in a small rural town in tennessee i had no idea what i wanted to do i'd been on my own since i was 16 since my parents divorced and uh and so i became acquainted with a guy who was one of the number one salespeople for one of the pharmaceutical companies at the time. He was the number one in the country. And, and he's also a clinical psychologist. It was a really interesting combination. Um, that guy went on to be very, very successful. He's still a friend of mine. But what happened, he met me, and we through a, a sequence of events. Um, we became friends, and he saw in me, he said, I really believe you've got the skills to be a salesperson. And I said, really? Because nobody you know, my family took disc profiles or, you know, the guidance counselors in my school weren't doing anything to help. Yeah. You know, they were just like, you were just supposed to go to work and make a living. Right. You know? um, and so this guy, he, he uh, kind of started mentoring me. He let me ride along with sales calls. He gave me this great book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, yeah. And uh, he introduced me to Zig Ziglar. He introduced me to, you know, a lot of the the great, you know, thinkers of that time. And I started becoming an avid reader in in, about this subject. And then, uh, you know, I started learning about empathy. I started learning about a new way of thinking, Kevin, that was uh, it wasn't all about me. It was all about the customer. And and uh, and so (laughs) interestingly enough, what happened, I, I took my wife, Lisa, and i took my little six-month-old uh son nick who is getting ready to be 35 on sunday oh wow and we moved to franklin tennessee into this guy's spare bedroom and he got me an interview for my first full commission sales job and i went in there sink or swim to start hammering it out and and learning how to sell and talk to people and and here i am a uh you know a southern boy from tennessee and they gave me uh to the the territory they wanted me to start calling was boston massachusetts so i'm a southern boy in tennessee calling people in boston trying Uh to get them to articulate what i'm trying to say but it was a baptism by fire but it was the the beginning point of changing the the people i hung around um the the sales career that i that, that changed our course of life and and, and again, the rest is history, but that's how it happened. And I just didn't fall into it. I had, I think, I think God placed somebody in my life to helped direct me. And I, I, I will stand by that till the day I die.
0: Well, you mentioned right off the bat that somebody saw you and said, Hey, I think you may have what it takes to be in sales right there. I mean, you know that there's, I mean, there, there are qualities that you need for sales, but as Zig says, you know, nobody is born a, a professional. Uh, salesperson, but having some of those skills, like, right, just right off the bat, what would you say those are? What you're looking for? If you're looking for a salesperson, you're looking for somebody who, fill in the blanks.
1: I think the first thing that most people look for in a face-to-face salesperson type situation where you're going and talking or seeing customers, you're going to have to have the ability to, uh, to feel comfortable meeting new people and introducing yourself and breaking the ice and making that an initial connection with new people. I think that uh, if, if you've, you've got to be a little bit outgoing to be a salesperson. I'm not saying that every every type of salesperson needs to be, but if you're gonna go out and make sales calls and meet people, you really need to have that, that ability to connect with people uh, face-to-face and on the phone uh, very quickly and, uh, and have, a, have the kind of personality that enjoys it.
0: Well, and that's interesting because I spent most of my life have in sales and I am, I am comfortable uh, and confident in it. Now, I've done my homework. I've put my you know Malcolm Gladwell Outliers 10,000 hours in it. I am a significant introvert, so I turn that on. So I can do that. It taxes me some. So where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is it fair to say, so somebody who is more extroverted, it may be more life-giving i mean you're not worn out you enjoy it it's fun you're talking with people all day i do that but man then i i need to go recharge it wears me out a little bit more so i can have a comfort level i just want people to hear that because it's it's as there's you know and we also talk about introverts and extroverts like they're thoroughbreds you're either one or the other and of course we're all on the spectrum so that's right where i fall i don't know but i'm more on the introvert side i like my alone time and it does it's a little taxing to be with people but i am comfortable uh, doing that. So as you see sales people. I mean, yeah, I think we've all seen the ones, man. They, I mean, they'll just talk to anybody and everybody and talk and others who are, well, I mean, even Zig, I mean, he was, he was somewhat introverted and he was pretty specific mm-hmm. um, with he, that. He learned the skills. He learned okay. the skills. Yeah. And, and also
1: another thing, I don't want to make it sound like, like I mentioned that every person has to be that way, I think there was another factor in what the guy saw in me, and what and that was the fact that that I you would draw people. You have uh, mm-hmm. you draw people to you, and, and you don't necessarily have to be outgoing to draw people. It's a yeah. matter of being interested in people, yes. being a good conversationalist, and um, and a lot of uh, more more introverted people are better listeners than the people that are outgoing that are wanting to be the life of the party kind of thing. So, to me, there's um, it, it's as I learned more about selling, it it did it became less about me and my personality and more about how I was interested in the other person and what they were, uh, what they were interested in, and listening to their issues and making sure I was connecting with what how I could help them. That that became the center of the success. The people that don't do that, just they're just not as as successful in sales as they should be.
0: Well, I you mentioned. Um you know, learning to ask. It's not, I think people with sales, they think about This is how I have to go talk. I have to tell. And, mm-hmm. you know, even in your book, I mean, your focus of, of the main chapters are questions. And questions. that's that's what I like. Yeah, I mean, if, if, the the, the, what, the thing that we're to be skilled in as a salesperson is knowing the right questions to ask and also being aware. If, would you go, go into, as we're talking about and I didn't mean to get into personality styles so much necessarily, but if you look at sales, and you mentioned those of you who are doing you know, face-to-face, one-on-one sales. I mean, there are a lot of different types of sales. So, right. Absolutely. I, yeah, I am not... I'll tell you, I, I don't like uh, cold calling. That was one that's very... I don't... <laughs> I don't know if everybody anybody loves cold calling, but it was very uncomfortable for me. So I'm looking at a different what sales can I do where there's a warm lead or I have some kind of connection point. I really want to start there so to somebody who has some level of interest, then the cold call. And I think other people, maybe more of an extroverted person, is much more comfortable with that. So maybe the personality style even dictates the type of sales you go sure. into. Okay,
1: sure. I mean, you're an introverted person is not going to enjoy cold calling. I'm just going to tell you there if they do they're a rare rarity the uh, the person that's more driven more a type more d in the disc would be somebody that has less emotion about it they don't feel rejected when somebody says no if they get 30 no's they're not going to care and um and so that that's a that's an important factor um but i believe there's ways that you can alleviate that pain Um, it comes back to what we just said if you can become an expert at asking questions and becoming a great listener, then the, the, the road to being able to do business with that person becomes so, uh, you know, it, it, it's a short road from there. It's a, you, you can get there pretty quickly if you can solve their problem, if you're the right person to help them with what they need. It's, it's not that far if you can come up with a good solution for them. I've, I've seen it happen over and over.
0: And what was, what has been historically your primary area of sales? Describe that for people so they know that, you know, some of the, even if it's changed and evolved some, some of the primary um, sales, you know, platforms that you had, what were you selling? What was the, what did it look like?
1: Okay. Yeah. It's um, uh, almost my whole career. I've spent in the, in an, an industrial type sales environment. I've been working with um, customers um that um, have loading docks and very industrial type equipment and and as my career evolved, I got more into working with contractors that were building new buildings for people. And I would help them, um, you know get what they needed for the customer, for those buildings. And that's uh, as a you know, for the last you know ten or fifteen years, that's what I've exclusively done in my sales career is work with contractors. And what happened was, um, the companies I was working for, they recognize the fact that I had the ability to build relationships. Yeah. So I haven't been co calling in a long time because what I I spend my time doing is getting a new opportunities with a contractor and building that relationship so that we can maintain that over the long haul. And so um, if you can imagine uh, Amazon right now, in spite of all the things that are going on in our country, they are on a building spree. They are building new warehouses and buildings all over this country. Yeah. They're spending untold billions of dollars on building stuff and i'm responsible for three or four buildings here in nashville that are going in for some of the equipment that's going into that buildings and um and it's because of the relationships i've built and the things that i've done to to help help move through that and it's been uh it's 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 taught me a lot because you have to be consistent you have to be responsive you have to communicate and uh and you have to you know sometimes you make your money not not necessarily when you get a new contract, it's when fulfilling that contract and making sure that it goes all the way through to the end and they're happy when the whole building's finished and everything's okay. So I've learned the sales process is all the way from the time you meet them to the time the job is done.
0: So to that degree, do your clients view you as much a, a salesman as you're a, a partner in the process that they're counting on for a solution.
1: Absolutely. I, you know, they'll, they'll joke around and say, say they'll call me a salesman sometime for fun say, you know, Hey, we don't allow salesmen in here, but at the same time, I am their partner. I'm the guy that when it comes to my expertise, they call me to say, what do you, what should we do here? How should we handle this? What is the, what is the right product? What is the right application? And so I become an, you know, the expert in that field to help partner with them, to help them not make a mistake, make sure they're putting in the right equipment. So it's a, it's, it's really fun to be in that role because that's when sell, selling is fun Yeah, is when you're literally helping people get the right thing that they need for their company.
0: So in this uh, arena of in- industrial sales, if I can say, if I can just, you know, give the, give Absolutely. it that label, what is a, an average sale for you? Can I ask revenue?
1: Yeah, uh, I would say that in the past um, six months, I have received contracts that have been in the $100,000 range. And um, last year, I did one that exceeded $2 million. Wow.
0: Okay. And so So, for people to understand that, and we got a lot of salespeople and wannabe salespeople in there, can I ask what kind of a commission that you can expect on sales of that nature?
1: yeah you can what what's uh what's what i love about uh the particular company that i work for now is that they they reward you on the profit some people get paid on the gross volume if you just sell you know 10 million dollars for me this year then i'll give you a bonus of this amount of money and that sort of thing this company is solely based on how much profit do you create which i think is brilliant yeah because profit's what matters, yeah. I mean so I could be selling stuff. I could be the lowest guy in town, not making any money and doing big numbers. doesn't matter. They sell they, they base that on the profit. so in, in this particular case, let me give you a scenario. Um, if, uh, if, I, if I sell a project and, um, and it's a, let's say it's a, a half a million dollar project and there's hundred thousand dollars profit in that, then I get to keep 35 to 40 percent of that okay. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So I, th- they let me keep 35 to 40% of every dollar profit dollar I sell.
0: Okay. And so if somebody, I mean, it's a great question. If somebody, uh, I mean, you, met, you mentioned your one, one of your sons, right? You have two? I have two, Nick and Nathan. Yep. And are they both in sales?
1: Um, neither one are in sales right now. One of them is working for a bank and one of them is working. Uh, he's, he's, he's interviewing for a sales job with a company, okay. but he's, in, he's kind of in transition right now.
0: Well, so, okay, so interviewing for a sales company. So if somebody's looking at sales, and I, not that we have to do a, 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 a you know, training session on all the different types of, of sales opportunities right out there because they're huge. But if you look at that and say somebody who does want, I guess it gets into, you know, what kind of lifestyle do you, do you want? What kind of income level do you want? what kind, And in the lifestyle in sense of do you want to travel? Or are you going to be gone? Because we know sales jobs, especially oh, high yeah. ticket ones that are, that are that. But if you look at, well, here, let me, let me put it here. When you look at the culture right now, you're talking about Amazon, which you mentioned that, and I'm uh, outside of Colorado Springs, and they're getting ready to build a big one of their big warehouses here as well. But if you look at the landscape right now, of course it's all goofy uh, at the moment with uh, COVID. You know, where do you see good opportunities? I guess you could even ask the question: If you were starting over today, you know, is it, would you go the direction you're at now, or you know, what arenas would you gravitate towards? In that in that particular case, you know, I, as you know, um,
1: because of my relationship with you and your dad, I've been doing a lot of coaching and stuff for the last ten or twelve years, and I'm mm-hmm. really uh, seeing, seeing that go well. Um, but really what I'm doing right now is not going to change because unless they find another way to move goods from one place to another, my, my income lies in the fact that there's warehouses that store that equipment and they, they offload it and they load it. And, and I'm, the, I'm the guy that provides the connection between the tractor trailers and the warehouses for safety and for all the equipment they need to handle that part of the job. So there's doesn't seem to be a slowdown in that, in the fact that we're gonna to continue to be moving product through rail, through trucks and ships and all the other things that's going on. So as long as material is being moved from one place to the other, my industry is gonna be pretty stable. Okay. So I don't see any slowdown in that because Amazon, uh, any online platform, they, they may be delivering it to your door. You may not have to go out and get it. It may be so convenient, but somebody is moving those products from somewhere to they, so they can get it to your door. Yeah. And as long as that's happening, I'm going to be I'm going to be okay.
0: You are listening to The Ziggler Show in our episode with Pierce Marge on sales and if your business could survive the Shark Tank guidelines. Uh, and of course, Surviving Shark Tank is the title of Pierce's new book. Well, next I asked Pierce about the personal and professional growth that most helped and was needed necessary for his sales and business career. Uh, we're going to jump right back in after I share some great products and services with you. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. Commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is. And Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. YahooFinance.com. So, as you look at your life cycle of sales, your you know your career personally, along the way, where were some specific areas of uh, personal or professional? Uh, and, and, may, and I think when I think about sales and how personal it is, it's hard for me to separate those. And maybe you don't, but just the growth. You know, like an area of growth and you look back to yourself 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever, and say, man, to go from there to where I am, an area of growth that was really beneficial. Maybe you even wish that you'd gotten it sooner or it's an area where you would say, look, to anybody who's going into it, here's where I would focus. What would it be?
1: Well, you know there's there was there was all kinds of phases <laughs> and you know this as well i mean you I told you about the mentor I met when I was nineteen, and he gave me some basic knowledge of what I needed to do um, I got my teeth kicked in for the first three or four years trying to learn this process. It wasn't something like I just read the book and I went out and did it and it worked i i had to I had to fail i had to do you know that was that was tough to to get used to but i but I was really trying to be self aware of what I was good at and where I was making mistakes. And um and you know so many people along the way uh from a personal and professional standpoint, you know, gave me permission to, you know, be the man that I needed to be from a moral standpoint. There was a lot of people uh, in this industry that I'm in, uh, there was a lot of people that were doing uh, unsavory things to try to get business. They were taking people to places they shouldn't be taking them. They were providing gifts and things that they shouldn't have been doing. And I, I had an 80-year-old boss um, and when I was 30 that told me, he said, he said you should never, ever, ever um, go against your morals to do something for a customer. If what you're doing and you're providing, the service that you're providing is not enough, then you don't need to be doing business with them and uh know, i know that's not the big answer but, but that's one I, there's li- those little things along the way where i was you know uh you know just for example for, um it was as i think of things here one of the things i loved about your dad is that i was eating lunch uh with him somewhere and believed or not it was mexican <laughs> no, i know you're surprised no
0: way yeah
1: but but you know I was so focused on work and trying to take care of the customer and everything, your dad got a call from your mom and he put his finger up. He said, stop family first. Hmm. You seen him do it. Hadn't you? Yeah. He picked up the phone, talked to his wife. And that, at that moment I, I, I had known that I had done that with Lisa where I had put the customer first or the business thing first, whatever I was doing, I thought, you know what? There's nobody on this earth that's becomes before her. And so at that point in time, uh, when I go to a restaurant now, I lay my phone down. I said, I'm, I'm only laying this here in case my wife calls. Yeah. I tell the customer that. And so having priorities, I, I guess that's the big thing I want to say, Kevin. Having the, the, the priorities that do not undermine your faith and your morals and what you believe is most important. I believe you can be that man that you want to be and then and, and you can be as successful as you want to be you do not have to bend what the world or what any particular customer thinks you should be
0: oh pierce and you know that we have a highly uh, here in Ziegler a faith-based audience zig was right. one of the most effective guys to get up there and talk to everybody and with love and respect and to be open about his own faith his own his own christian faith and so as you talk about that and talk about morality And, you know, it's so easy to look at that as, you know, it's it's the right thing to do. And you can do that and almost uh, almost if you can do that and still, you know, be successful in your field or successful in sales, or would you take it on the other side and say the reason that Pierce Mars has succeeded to the level that you have today is because of how that has impacted those relationships and people know that they can count on you.
1: I think the second one, absolutely. I think that um, it it probably goes hand in hand, but... At the same time, um, when you, you know, I, I've i not been that kind of salesman that can just sell stuff on a street corner and, and you know, shout out and, hey, you know, buy what I've got yeah. and be, you know, it'd be barking to to sell something for a one-time thing and then never see the person again. You know, there's people out there that have the ability to do that. Uh, I learned early on that relationship selling was my focus, was yeah. my best it fit my personality it it, i was the best at that and when you think about building relationships i mean you've got to go into that um the customers that i have relationships with now we play golf together Uh, we get invited to their house for a birthday party it's not there's no line between business and personal i mean we are friends and we call each other up to you know we get you know congratulate on graduations and and uh, you know, and, and sometimes we talk about music. Sometimes we talk about playing, you know, uh, songs and concerts, and you know, it's just a it's just a whole different level that that. And if you're going to do that, then you have to have a a similar idea about how you want to live out your faith in your life. Yeah. And uh, most most all these guys that I work with, they have similar beliefs that I do. And if they even if they don't feel as strongly they respect it you know and they know they all know lisa they most of them know my kids and we've, we've we've done things together and and it's just a. it becomes uh you you can't be one thing at work and be something else everywhere else and then expect this to work it's like the rest of the world and i believe if i i don't have to pretend i can be this pierce all the time the same guy and and uh, i think that That works the best for me.
0: It's interesting to me, Pierce. You know, we're in a day and age when it feels like, in the world in general, but in business as well, that the uh, we 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 try to not stand for anything, not try to put anything out there. We don't want to offend, especially right now. We're in a volatile, you know, time of literal in the you know past days, even of of such you know offense and and hurt and. And things and we get can get the concept I think of yeah we need to be careful not to step on any toes now I know you're not just like Zig you're not out there professing something hey you need to believe the way that I do but man with say I mean sales is trust when we know that Zig said you know it's a transference of feelings and in that I know that I I said this recently to a business partner said, I, I value, I want to be involved with people who do have fairly strong beliefs that stand for something, even if they're different from mine, as opposed to somebody who does it. Cause I just can't relate to it. And especially if we're talking about trust. Uh, so you saying that even though not everybody may share your exact faith or your level of faith, they respect it. And yeah, again, in sales, which I'd say as Zig does, we're all in, we all want to influence, man, I, I want to, if somebody has a different belief, but they they have a strong belief they have, uh, and, and they know why they have that. I respect that and want to be aligned with them more than somebody who just says, no, 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 I'm just vanilla. I don't, I, no platform out there and you're living it out. It's what pays your bills.
1: And what's interesting about it over the years, which has been another thing that's happened as I've worked with different companies and done different things is that, um, you know, there's been times when I've been the designated driver huh. and and it's never cost me any credibility. There's never been any peer pressure because they know where I stand. You know what I mean? So it's it's been um, it, it's been great to see how people respect that. If you are a man that believes in, in certain things and, and have certain standards about what you want to do most people respect it and the ones that don't don't really matter mm-hmm. and and so at the same time you know as we go through this really really difficult time you know whatever your feelings are about how people are hand, handling uh the covid crisis the, or what's going on right now with the uh, the riots and the uh you know protesting um you know lisa and i've had long long conversations about this and and i just really you know i'm not going to disrespect some the way somebody believes i just don't think you're going to get very far in the world by because because they're just gonna they're gonna dig their heels in so I, i'm I, sh- I have my own thoughts i have my own feelings and i'll share them with somebody that asked but i'm not gonna go out and try to force somebody to believe the way i believe and uh hopefully i can just show them you know yeah. that, uh, that that the everybody's not bad
0: you yeah. know we're all We all got to get along. We all got to get along. Well, you, 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 so you're in sales, you're doing well, you're still doing well in that. But at some point, and I I don't know the exact story, Pierce. I mean, you're involved with business. You're involved with business leaders, business owners, and you obviously developed an interest in that and i don't know how that's been going on as long as i've known you your interest in just business and yeah as you talked about your own coaching well just take us into that what 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 began that channel of your vocation as well well it's funny
1: when i was talking to your dad on monday we we uh we went back and discussed the uh we met on a train hmm. with in the 13 let's see 12 12 years ago caleb's 24 now right yeah all right so he was 13 wow then so that was 11 years ago whatever we he was they were celebrating his birthday and taking him on that train your mom and dad
0: and folks listen to that that's my son Caleb my oldest son so, yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah well uh, anyway Dan Joanne and Caleb were on this train we met then and uh, I had just joined the 212 connection Yep. you remember that yeah and uh and so we had I'd been on a call on Thursday I had talked to your dad on Friday for the first time ever and then I met him on a train on oh. a cold and dark and rainy night <laughs> we joke about it. but anyway it was a really great happen chance meeting on a train that would it was just totally unexpected but uh, i'd been listening to his show on sunday night on the radio yeah and uh started hearing about this coaching thing and that that really started making the transition toward well this is really a way i could give back because there's been so many people so many mentors that have given to me including that guy that moved me into his house back when i was 19 or i was 21 at the time. Um, and, and so I thought, this is a great way for me to give back. So I started out by doing some career coaching through 48 days. And, um, and, what the, and then as I, as I figured out, oh, you know, this coaching thing is really something I could do, uh, I transitioned into some sales coaching. And that has turned into communication coaching for business owners, which can be a salesperson, can be a business owner, can be a business team. Uh, I'm working with, with multiple teams right now. Uh, and, I, and I've emphasized through disc profiles and through communication that the, the, the things I've learned in the last 35 years, um, I work with people on that. I've, I've really developed a focus over this period of time. And, uh, and you know something interesting, Kevin, hmm. as I've as I've tried to be uh, a better coach and tried to hone those skills and to, to be more, you know, more prepared to help people with those situations my sales in the last 10 years have been bigger than they've ever been. Before. Wow. Every year my sales have grown while I'm coaching, which is, says something about being a teacher. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've learned more, I'm more introspective. I got more self-awareness and, uh, and it's helped me. It's helped me tremendously. So that that's what, but I've, I've been continuing to do sales I, uh, and I still do the coaching. I work with people and, um, and I, I, train people on disc profiles for their whole team. So they have to, they get higher better and they can select better, you know, situations for their teams. And so that's a blast to me. And, uh, and, and along that, uh, along that whole way, I've been, uh, I've been podcasting, uh, <clears throat> with, uh, for shark tank for the last nine years as well, which is, uh, you asked about the business component. I love business. Yeah. I, I love talking about it. I love new ideas. I love the sales process. And uh, and so co- combining my love for sales and then watching this crazy show called Shark Tank, where real people are bringing their business into a, a an arena where they can uh, negotiate with people that are going to spend their money. yeah, to invest in a business. I, I was fascinated with the idea after the first season. so I started I started this podcast uh, you know, recapping that. The episodes and interviewing the sharks, interviewing the, uh, a, a lot of the people that have appeared on the show, uh, just studying and breaking down why they got deals and why they didn't, why would this product would work, why this wouldn't. Uh, I just uh, I've, I've loved it and it's helped me get a greater understanding and it's helped me work with businesses to help get to the reason why they are failing or succeeding hmm. Or where their greatest, uh, you know, need for help is, and that's uh, that. That's how that all that all comes together. It's all evolved from me finding out what I love and putting it all together.
0: Well, and I want to, you know, as you talk about that. So yeah, you've got the the podcast, the Shark Tank fan podcast, and i again, I'll hold this up for people watching. Uh, the now you've got the could you survive survive Shark Tank book. That this is uh, this is for you. People need this even if you don't need investment money. I want to put that right out there. So if you're thinking, "Ah, you know, it's I don't need I don't need investment money," that's not the point. This is about I'm going to say you know, how to structure and conceptualize your business for success. Is that fair? It, it is. And here's the thing, you make a great point, Kevin,
1: because I wrote the book not to help people get on Shark Tank, yeah. but because there was a business here in Nashville called Moosehead Kettle Corn. They they sell kettle corn to the Titans games, the um, Grand Ole Opry, the Farm Farmers Market. They're a six figure company. They're debt free, and they're owned by a couple right here outside of Nashville. And he called me one day. He found found me and was able to call me through the website. Contacted me and said, "Hey, is there any way you could meet with me?" I said, "Well, sure." So I I met him for lunch somewhere and 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 the guy was um he he was under had a little bit of a little stress because they had signed up to be on shark tank as kind of a little somebody dared them to do oh that. wow well they said we'll never get on that show in a million years well guess what they call for an interview and said we're coming to bring the cameras and film you for shark tank that's nuts and so all of a sudden He was at a position where, okay, do I want to go on Shark Tank? Do I want to have a partner? Do I, when here we are debt free, we're making great money, we're having the time of our life. What would having an investor do to change the dynamic of our successful business? Would we have to scale? Would they want us to go nationwide? Would we have to create a manufacturing facility, have more cost, have more issues? We sat and talked for an hour and when he le- he got it from the table he said you he said this conversation has made me understand i don't need to be on shark tank mm-hmm. he chose not to be on shark tank in front of 8 or 10 million people getting all that exposure mm-hmm. and trying to get a deal with a shark because he knew what he wanted he knew his business he understood it he 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 knew what the problems would be with trying to scale that business so that inspired me to write the book. I said, what do you, how well do you know your business? Why are you succeeding or failing? What questions are you going to ask yourself to determine whether you are doing the right thing for your business? That's where it
0: came Well, and that's what I want people to hear that if this is you know, ultimately the right questions to ask yourself as an entrepreneur. So if you've got a business idea, if you've got a business, that's already uh, started now most of the show. And, okay. Here's an admission. I, I'm one of the few Americans who has not watched much of shark tank just cause we've never had regular, uh, TV. So nothing against it, but I'm aware of it. And of course, like you, I know Kevin Harrington, we've had him on the show and I've done some stuff, uh, with, with Ziegler with him. So I know the concept, uh, here, but most of the, most of the companies on there or, or actually are, are all, uh, past concept, are, there, there's not many concepts, are aren't most of them already generating some business?
1: Well, it's, it's helpful. The, the, the people okay. that get the deals usually have sales of some kind. Okay. But you'd be surprised at the number of businesses that are just an invention that are, uh, maybe they've done a Kickstarter program, maybe they've just, ha- there's been people on there that only had the, you know, ha- had the, the, the rough idea. Oh. And they were just, they, they've, they've actually pitched that that's not the rule that's the okay. you know that's one in one and in 25 probably or so but uh, there's all kinds and, and um and but but most of them do well if they're past concept and they've actually got some sales and they've got some numbers and they've proved viability for their product but you never know what's going to happen in there
0: well and i want to run so i want to run through it because this is in so many ways this is an audit of Shark tank on what you have mm-hmm. seen and what has been successful. It reminds me of, gosh, you probably know the guy. I've got this book behind me. The guy who just wrote the, uh, the Bezos letters, um, uh, shoot. I can't remember the author's name, but he just wrote, it, it, was, based, you talked about. Yeah, it was based on the shareholder letters from, from Jeff Bezos, uh, to, to the shareholders. And he, he just audited it. He wrote a book about it. Um, and so this is, I mean, you've been, yeah, you said for nine years, you've been doing the show, you've been auditing the show. I don't know how long, how long has been sh- the show been on air? And it's, it's actually
1: in the 11th it just finished the 11th season 11, okay and um and so i've been re- i've been recording for 10 seasons and um and I, I didn't record the first season that's when kevin harrington was mostly on there their first and part of the second season um but but yeah for 10 seasons i've been recording episodes uh for the show and and you know what happened you know is i kept seeing the same questions being asked yeah in some form or fashion over and over again. So I started doing an audit myself and all of the hundreds of questions that are being asked, they fell into seven categories. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, well, you know what, if a, if a shark that's a billionaire or a millionaire is asking these seven questions about your company, shouldn't you be asking yourself? That was the point.
0: Let's, so let's walk through. I literally want to walk, walk through. through these. I mean, number one question, do you have any sales? Now, again, so if somebody's got a concept or an idea. Uh, of course, you don't. But getting to that, and I will say from an investor standpoint, and I've been on both sides, from bootstrapping business, uh, businesses that have taken in, uh, in investment money, to pitching investors on a business that's existing and on pitching a concept. And, and I'll say the the hardest place to be is pitching an investor. Uh... On a concept, very difficult. I, I would very say, difficult. if there's any way, shape, or form, go out there and get a sale. Get yourself to the point of a sale, or at least some sales, before you talk to an investor. And, and especially in this day and age, when there's so much opportunity, there's so many people that investors can talk with. If they're going to talk to concept, it's probably to one of their fellow billionaire. That's when you you hear the you know napkin idea that they put billion you know right. a bunch of money into. It's usually some people who've already done a lot as well. So if you're starting out, man, if you can get some sales, so so talk about that. So they, that question right there, that's your lead-off question. Do you have any sales? I mean, is there, there's nothing that showcases the viability more than that.
1: It's, it's, a, it's a question that every person's going to get that walks into that Shark Tank. When they're finished making their pitch, they've presented, they've passed out samples, and they're all having, they're yucking it up, having a great time. As soon as that's over, Kevin O'Leary or one of the sharks is going to say, tell us about your sales. Yeah. And a lot of times the sales is connected to valuation because they come out there asking for $300,000 for 5% of their company. And they will say, are you really worth that much money? Yeah. Is your company worth several million dollars? So they want to know, man, man, with that, uh, that valuation, you must have a lot of sales. And, and so that's where it starts. And what, what I believe matters the most and you, and you've seen it yourself is that, that sales proves viability. If, if that means there's a group of people that have been willing to pull their wallet out and yeah. pay money for what you're doing, they must need it. They must want it. And if they don't have very good sales or no sales at all, then the doubts creeps in. Well, how do you know anybody wants this? Yeah. You know? And so um, sales becomes the a top priority. And in and, and, and most of the cases, it, it's going to get them to the next step. Uh, you know, like we talked about profit margins earlier. Um, Sometimes uh, a lot of sales doesn't necessarily mean profitability, Yeah. but it's a good first step to have to prove that somebody wants this and they're willing to buy it. And uh, and maybe the sales are increasing month after month over the past some period of time. So it's an important question.
0: It is. And I'll tell you, I had a business concept not too awfully long ago. And I was asked as we talked about it, what would you do with you know, $5 million because that investor was kind of at that level. And I, we didn't have a a great answer for one, but two, he said for that, he's going to want more than 50%. I said, no way. And it just drove us back to, we're going to bootstrap this thing till we have exactly that. We're going to prove this thing so that at whatever level of money we take, we give away less. Uh, But man, when you're, when you, before having that, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to command much. Um, And you talk, go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say, what we're going to talk about, investment money here in a moment that I, and I I really want to bring that back up on one of the other questions because that comes up every time. And, and it's really, really a key thing. What you just said.
0: Well, well, if you want to go into that, I mean, you mentioned already valuation. That's your number two question. How did you come up with that valuation? Now, again, I want people to hear this. Even if you're not looking for money, this is still, how do you, uh, how do you conceptualize and value your business? But for those of you who do think you need money, I mean, this is where it comes down to, and this is going to be a question, whether you're looking for a, uh, to a degree, an SBA loan or investment money from an oh, angel point. investor or venture capitalist, or even, even friends or family. Uncle Bob is going to want to know what's going on.
1: What's your, pl- yeah, what's your idea here, man? How, what's your plan? Yeah. The, the valuation is, is such a interesting subject. Um, uh, Aaron Krause, who invented Scrub Daddy, is the biggest business that's ever been in Shark Tank. He's, he, since he's been in shark tank, he's done over 280 million. Wow. I'm pretty sure it's $280 million in sales. He did a deal with Lori Grenier. but I was talking to him recently and we, we, we talked about this subject of valuation again, and, and it comes down to what is somebody willing to pay you for your company to buy? It? that's the valuation. What's well, that's the bottom line. So the question is, how do you come up with that number? And if you've got a concept, it's never been sold. You, you just mentioned how hard it is mm-hmm. to get somebody to understand, you know, where, where they're where they're going to get their money back. That's the problem. How are you going to get your money back? I don't know if anybody wants this or not. So the evaluation for an idea is not that much. Um, but if you've got sales and maybe you've got inventory, uh, maybe there's some uh, hard assets that you can use for value. But it comes down to how much money can I make? Based on how much you've made over the past few years, how much money can I make in the future by buying this business? And it, it, it comes back to profit, you know, yeah. sales dollars and profit. And so it 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 gets so uh, scary. Uh, one of the businesses that I talk about in the book, Eco Diva, she had sales, but her first thing when she sat down and wanted to hire me as a coach, she said. I said, what do you want to do with this business? What's your plan? What, you know, where do you, where do you want to end up? And she said, I want to sell this business. Hmm. And so we started dissecting the business. She didn't know what her costs were. She didn't know, you know, how much money she was making. And and she was so busy working on the business that she didn't know the details. And so the first step was to break that business down piece by piece. How much are you really making? And in the process, she ended up stopping all of her sales to Kroger. One of the biggest uh, yeah. stores in the country because the profit margins were so small yeah. and the work that was required to make that money was not worth the while. So she stopped doing that and started working in areas where it was more profitable. And she created a nice business plan for somebody to be able to come in and see that they could they could run a profitable business and take it over. And here's the key: she was willing to stay on for a year to help them be the face of the company to make the transition. Huh. So you see it's not there's not one easy answer for evaluation is there
0: Yeah, well, and I appreciate you. You you mentioned multiple times profits, you know, sales and profits because, yeah, so she pulls out of Kroger's and and I've heard so many stories of people who have pulled out after the big win of Walmart's going to carry my product and they pulled out because they beat them down to the margins are so small. And I think that's happening on Amazon somewhat and come back and can I create a a premium product uh, that actually has some sales? So yeah, just having that number of sales doesn't always mean... Profit sounds so basic, but how many of us me involved as entrepreneurs can get into that problem we were making sales, not making any money, maybe losing money making sales yeah yeah uh, well, th- three your third question how did you finance your business and I remember this at the beginning of uh, you know some of my first experiences and talking with investors that as the founder of a business you have put your blood, sweat, and tears into it. They don't always value that as much as you do, huh?
1: No, no. Uh, What happens in shark tank is uh, there's two types scenarios and there's multiple types, but this is the two extremes. Okay. Um, you've got a guy that comes in there and let's say he's got sales of $150,000. Okay. Been in business a couple of years. He's, he's going to do 150,000 this year. Um, when they start digging and they say, well, where'd you get the money to start your business? Oh, I did it myself. I, I, I bought, you know, I, I, I spent $700 to start this business. and I bootstrapped it. And, uh, and I, I'm going to keep $65,000 of that one fifty this year in my pocket. The sharks are going to, it's debt free. They bootstrap. There's no debt. There's no other investors. This is the most clean, coolest. Mark Cuban is he's going to jump out of his chair and start cheering. Right you got a second scenario. A business comes in. They've done $2.2 million in the last year. Wow. Look at those sales. Well, in order to do that, they're burning 500000 a month in advertising in the, ne- in the negative. They've sold so much of their business, they only own 25% to get more funding, to keep the business running, to keep those sales going. All of a sudden you've got a business that's in debt. Yeah. It's got investors that these people only own 25% and, and, you know, they owe, you know, a uh, million dollars in, in outstanding loans that it doesn't matter. This 2.2 million, the, the $150,000 business is more attractive because he's debt-free he bootstrapped and yeah. it's a clean way for the, chart to come in and invest and help them blow that business up.
0: I, Pierce, literally yesterday somebody I'll keep anonymous uh, they <laughs> achieved great acclaim as uh, the, the fourth highest sales volume in an affiliate uh, campaign. And I found out yesterday in talking with them, they spent 275,000 dollars on Facebook to achieve that, and they'll, at the end of the story, they're going to have made about 250 grand. They lost money, but all we saw was they got top four in this big thing. Now, uh, granted, in that story, now from that they're having some other sales that will eclipse that and give them some profit. But from that campaign, man, it was uh, it 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 took away some of the shine of that achievement. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing
1: is, we understand that some businesses require more upfront capital to get started. They require more research, more, you know. infrastructure to get going we also understand that there is a burn rate that you spend sometimes trying to get your product out there and get it known but in my opinion you know i use Kent julian wrote a great chapter in the book how he bootstrapped his business he went from being a youth pastor to owning a six-figure company and 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 he's been debt free through the whole thing and he's built an incredible company and a great lifestyle for himself very successful invested in real estate done all the cool things And he's done it with a – he sleeps good at night. He doesn't have all those worries and all those things going on. And so to me, you know, if you can bootstrap, then it's great. Damon John, who's one of the sharks, um, wrote a book called The Power of Broke. And he says the power of broke, if if you don't have any money, you find a way to do things that don't cost money. He was going around taking his clothes to – um mtv video shoots where the rappers were and he would get them to wear his clothes and he was he was doing all these things to try to to get exposure that didn't cost him anything and uh, and he said you know if you've got a lot of money he said a lot of times you just make mistakes you spend too much and you don't focus on the important things and you try to fix it with money and he said it's just it's almost better to to start it and and build it from from zero, it's a, you, you do a better job.
0: In this same line, how how are they, uh, the sharks? How are they primarily perceiving the, uh, you, you know what we've seen in the, especially with social media? Hey, I've got this app, I've got this site, I've got this whatever, and we are driving to you know, a million people a month through that, or we have all these members. And we're not making any money, maybe losing money like mad, but we have established the demand. Now, there is some value and we've seen some, you know, some unicorn investments with stuff like that where they go, oh my gosh, you've got all these people, a certain percent of the populace, we're going to throw money at it. I think that did happen. What's that landscape look like today?
1: Well, it's, you know, there's always the one, like you said, the unicorn that where somebody's going to look at it and they're going to say, this is really relevant. This is, Well, one of the things that comes up on Shark Tank all the time is how long is this going to last? Yeah. Is, is, have you already peaked? If you've gotten this many millions of uh, of followers, is uh, who's going to copy this? Can they knock it off and, and do it a little better and, and put you out of business? And so sometimes the longevity of some of these new tech apps and other things, you know, they're so short that, uh, you, if you, if you're not there at the beginning and you're, you know, you, you're already behind kind of thing. And so that, that's the, that's, that's what I see a lot of times on the show is they're looking at it. Can, can this be, be scaled and have longevity? Yeah.
0: Well, so your fourth question, do you want or need a partner? And that one is such a big question. I think for anybody, again, even if you don't want investment for partnerships, now I'm in a business right now. It's my, uh, it's actually my second literal partnership and it's a 50, 50, uh, Partnership, the first one I did ultimately, I walked away from because i wasn 't in complete alignment with my partner. We actually had brought then brought another one on that was the primary reason the business was actually working, but what soured me was I just wasn 't in alignment uh, with my partner now i 'm in one that I absolutely am in now in between is a lot of stuff i 've done just myself, and there 's right. pros and cons to both sides so hit on that how do they address? that or perceive that question
1: well i'm always going to believe that if you can do it by yourself then you should okay I, I just i just think that what is good today you know you're not sure if it's going to be good five years ten years or when the build, business build, builds to a certain size and you're doing a certain amount of volume and it's time to start making decisions you know there's going to come a time when you know just about every partnership i've seen in some form or fashion, as they get, the older they get, you know, the more frustrated one of the partners get mm. with how things are going. And, and one of my clients right now is an attorney and he, uh, he was like you, he wasn't aligned with his partner and, uh, he had to, he had to separate it. So, but, but I understand that shark tank and the world is full of partnerships that have worked out great. I, I just think that because of what you learned from the first partnership, I think that you went into the second one with your eyes wide open. Yeah. You, you knew exactly what you wanted out of this. You knew what kind of partner you wanted. Um, and so there's a lot of reasons you would do it. You, you one of them would be money. They have money that, that they can invest and, they, and they, that would be one reason. Um, but you've really got to match the values yeah. and you've got to match the, the, uh, um, the direction. You know, the vision is what I should say. You, the vision and the values have to match uh, for you to be able to partner with somebody and it be successful. And I, I, you know, you, you can be friends, you can be, you know, business associates, whatever you want to do. Um, but in my opinion, you need to have a well-structured agreement that's, that talks about the fact, what if we get tired of doing this together one day, what's this going to look like? You need to know what is that plan going to be? How are we gonna How are we gonna dissolve this and go our own way if that happens? I think it needs to be discussed on the front end.
0: I you do know. too, and I, I'll tell you, I am not one that would generally be a good fit for a partnership. I'm pretty autonomous guy. Uh, for candor, my partner uh, in in one business is. Uh, Randy James Dr. Randy James is my co-host on the True Life Podcast I know Randy you know Randy and that the reason that that came together is because uh, we have a friendship unlike any other and we had a shared uh, interest and we came to it with eyes wide open and knew that this could be uh, it could be a volatile thing for a relationship, but also it was just, you know, it's, a, it's a divine pairing. I mean, if he was an attractive woman, man, it would be all over, you know, It'd be bad it's a marriage. That? <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah, you've
1: known him for many, many years though, before, long, before
0: you did that. A long time. We did a lot together. We shared an office, uh, offices together. We still do now. I can hear him on the other side of the wall right there. And it is, it's like a brother. And so that's a unique thing. If, if not for that, I probably would not generally ever have a partner especially a 50 50 partner and make sure that I had a controlling interest so that's for me that is a unique and we hear those once in a while a unique thing I, I, my dad's talked multiple times about and you may know more of the details about Andy Andrews who has a, a business partner and they're uh, renowned for not having any official contract anything that is a very unique uh, i I'm tempted to use that word a divinely you know anointed exactly.
1: opportunity there well, when I was talking to your dad about this same subject, um, he he brought, brought it to our attention. Anytime you give um, somebody an opportunity to invest or you become a partner with somebody, you also give them a voice. Yeah. And and they become involved. And it's like, um, in a way, they've moved into your house. They're having dinner with you. They're, they're a part of all the decisions you make about that business. You're not, like you said, autonomous anymore. Yeah. And it just, it, it's one of those things that, from talking about moosehead kettle corn, they, they had to make a decision. Do I want a partner or not? They said, no, I don't. Yeah. We don't need one. And and a lot of businesses that come in Shark Tank, Mark Cuban will look at them straight in the eye and say, you don't need us. You need to leave here and do this on your own. And that's great advice. Yeah. You know, when, uh, when you need it and yeah. you need to be told that. So, so to me, I think it's a, it's unique. It's in the book because it comes up so often uh, because the people that are coming into Shark Tank are saying, hey, I want to partner with one of you in my business. And it's a, it's a big question, and I just believe it's got to be
0: something you walk into very carefully like you already know. Your next question here, it surprised me, uh, Pierce. It really did. I, I would not have expected that. Do you have a patent? I mean, being involved in business, small business, uh, my entire life, I, I've not personally. It's like one, uh, something I haven't dealt with a whole lot as patents, and yet you have that as a as one of your seven questions that these guys are asking. So, t- uh, explain the value of that. Why that comes into the picture so strongly? Well, it's a great it's a great
1: conversation to have. Most of the people coming into Shark Tank are not selling a service; they're selling a product mm-hmm. of some kind, and so the the question is. Um, the question becomes from the shark, how, what are you going to do to protect this idea and yeah. to keep somebody else from copying it, knocking it off. And, uh, so the, that particular chapter was a Q and a with Aaron Krauss, who's got multiple patents and trademarks, and he is a firm believer in protecting your idea. He's been doing it his whole life. He's got all kinds of inventions. And like I said, he's got a almost $300 million company, uh, that he's built in eight years since he's been on shark tank. And so, I sat down with him to talk to him about inventions and the mindsets that you need to be in. Uh, when you think about protecting your idea, um, based on my experience, I've always thought that, that, you know, if you have an idea that you, that you think that is, is going to work, then you need to, you need to build it and you need to see if anybody wants it before you spend money on it. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, and, and so I asked Aaron that I said, you know, I, this is kind of going contrary to what I'm used to hearing. Uh, I personally don't really worry about somebody copying stuff because most people aren't going to take action. Yeah. And then I asked him, I said, I put him on the spot. I said, how many people that have an idea do you believe act on it? And he projected one out of a thousand. Wow. Wow. So, so at the same time, you've, you've got people, is is somebody really going to knock off your idea? Are they going to really go to the trouble to try to beat you to the punch on a patent or getting to market with something. Uh, maybe if you're on shark tank and they see the idea. Yeah. But some people have come on shark tank. Lori Grenier is a QVC queen and she, she believes in getting things patented and protected. And, and it's a very big deal to her that, that uh, you've protected something. If you've got something that's new, that's never been done, a new way of doing something, the question, the, the whole book is based on the questions that the sharks are asking. And that comes up when it comes time to talk about the product, they say, do you have protection? Are you going to get knocked off? That's a question that comes up more and more. Um, I, I personally believe that it's not going to affect most of us in business, but, but it's, it's something to consider. And and you need to know a little bit about how to do that if you want to do some research to see if your idea has you're not copying somebody's idea.
0: Well, and you know this as well as I do. I I grew up with my dad, Dan Miller, and that was his, you know, and seeing that one out of a thousand, that was his perspective. And so when he whenever he heard how many times I heard him, uh, I'll say disappointed when somebody was you know, asking, they wanted some info on a business, but they wouldn't share it. They didn't want to share it with anybody else. And that was his statement is, man, the ideas are a dime a dozen, man. Go talk about it, share it, get counsel on it. Uh, hiding it is uh, pretty much, hey, folly. it's the idea action. If
1: you're really worried about it, get an NDA, get yeah. somebody to sign off on a non-disclosure agreement, especially if you're going to look at a manufacturer to build something. But once again, the, the conversation's rich. Uh, if, if there's anybody listening, that has a lot of ideas and maybe they're they are an inventor of some kind they're going to really enjoy this conversation because he has been one since he's been a little kid he's found new ways to do things his whole life and uh and and for him you know protecting these ideas has uh, ha- has been to his benefit and yeah. and uh but he believes that you you need to be careful and you need to stay away from scams and you need to do it right so the book gives you some insight onto that to me it it doesn't pertain to me because I don't have anything that I'm trying to protect in that standpoint, you know, unless the the words I'm writing are copyright protected. So, um, but that, that was a big enough question that I wanted to include it because it came up so often in the show.
0: Well, and that is relevant probably to put out there that yeah, shark tank is, does tend to veer on the product side, uh, not the service side. You talk, we've talked about Kevin Harrington, and I talked to him uh, about a, a business concept a couple of years ago that I was working on. And he ultimately, I mean, he, he understood it, whatever he said, man, I'm, I'm just primarily product focused. That's where most of my interest is, mm-hmm. my experience and my investments. Uh, and so that's relevant too. Your sixth question here, six out of seven questions. Is your product or company a brand? I love that. Mm-hmm. Go go into go into that because I think that's not. I don't think that, again. That's not a concept that most people have in mind.
1: Well, you know, I'm a sales guy, <clears throat> and and so when it, when it come to uh, as I've already mentioned, your dad wrote a chapter. Kent Julian wrote a chapter. Yeah. Uh, Emily Chase Smith wrote a chapter. Um, I had a lot of contributions. Devin Gino, uh, which you know you know well, and Jimmy Gibson is a branding, yeah. uh, uh, you know, marketing expert. Um, we call him the branding magician and then and people that have the ability to uh, develop a brand have a unique skill and one of the things that if you'd asked me when i met jimmy and i met him at at at, uh, at one of your events out in colorado that's first time i ever met jimmy yeah and um, i might have met him at Dan's once but then we we met out there again but regardless he has a unique way of looking at things. I couldn't have told you what a brand is unless you talk about what they're doing to cattle in Texas when you stick that you know, hot brand <laughs> yeah, on it. But yeah. it's the same concept. That's yeah. where the word comes from is that you're you're doing something. He he, he does a great job of explaining the fact that um, a, a lot of people on Shark Take come on and say, hey, man, I'm creating a brand here. They're trying to sell their, their brand and their idea. When it really comes back down to it, it's every interaction that you have with your customers that they, it's how they view you. And it comes down to values. It comes down to your business card. It comes down to your logo. It comes down to your website. It comes up to how your po- your package, your product is packaged. Excuse me. It's everything that every interaction that they have with your business that tells them something about your company. Yeah. And so that's the brand. I mean, and so people that know Coca-Cola, they know what, as soon as I say the words, people can see the logo in their mind and they know what they probably can hear a commercial in their head or they know what it tastes like, or they know what the, the image that that company's trying to, you know, yeah. uh, you know, attract. So it's, a, it's, a it's, a, it's one of those things that's a little bit harder to understand. And I, and, and people talk about brand on shark tank. And I felt like Jimmy needed to come in and explain that for people so they knew. And he does a little exercise in there to help people understand how to know what their brand is.
0: Well, I Pierce, it's really relevant to me because I'm going through. I have my own platform being built, and that is such a big focus. And it's acute to me. I'll let everybody know. I, I vet I don't know how many books a week, authors, you know, speakers, personalities, people who want to be on the show. Uh, it's almost a full-time business right there for us just to, just to vet people to have on the show. And so I'm I'll looking bet. at people constantly and I'm you know, trying to be time efficient. And it's amazing how often somebody who is a great person with a great message, but it takes me so long to figure out what are they about? What are they about? What is their, I'm going to say their flavor in essence. And you talked about Coca-Cola. You know, I think uh, we often talk about Apple. They have done such a great job. Yeah, I mean, I can think of all the, you know, since the dawn of the personal computer, which you and I are old enough to to remember, there's been so many different computer companies. And which one of them has a specific image? Pretty much none of them, but Apple, I think, you know, uh, they have, we all know to be, you know, they started off as just for those who are different. You know who doesn't want to be different i want to be different and right. i i their branding all i own technology wise is apple stuff and i couldn't mm-hmm. even tell you why it's because they got their brand into my noggin and now i'm loyal to it and uh and, and, and you know at the end of the day um not
1: only do i have everything that's apple but it works huh? it works it's one of those things where if somebody tried to say hey well you know you could really go over and buy this other thing it'd be it'd be so much less expensive i said yeah but when am i going to have to buy it again and how is it going to fail when i need it mm-hmm. and i'm, I'm going to tell you that over and over it's proven to me not only is it does it stand up to what it says but it's lasted for years and years and it's dependable and it does what it says it's going to do and um I, I just tell you what, I, they, they deserve the success they've had because they, they put out good products.
0: And I, I think that they have done, they have probably, I don't know of another company, I'm trying to think, who has created what seems like the most loyal fans, uh, the most loyal customers that they have. But, you know, coming back to what are they about? And if you go through your purchases and the people that you follow you generally are, are are you know what they're about and I see pierce so many people who haven't done the jobs and I can I can tell you the authors the personalities out there who have made a specific brand and we know what they're about I mean we're yeah. Simon Sinek he's the Y guy you know I mean everybody knows that he's done a great beautiful you know job of doing that and yet I see so many and again they've got a good message but it's just not clear what they're I'm going to say again what they're flavor is and uh we do the work to i appreciate you saying that and i think jimmy taught me that as well we do the work to try to influence our brand but ultimately it is the customer out there who tells us what our brand really is what they think of us and a lot of times they just don't know they just don't know and i think that's why but it we, can be
1: but it can be created yes if because if you want
0: if you know what you
1: want to project and what you want your customers to get out of the experience you create the brand by providing that experience for apple they always anticipate what we need that we don't know we need yeah steve jobs was perfect at saying you know people are saying well why don't i need thousand songs on a on a on a well he told everybody yeah you're going to want this yeah. this has got a th- this ipod's got a thousand songs on it you're going to want to carry it around well the next thing you know everybody's carrying one around and, yeah. and the rest is history so i mean they are anticipating what we want and and i think is uh, as a coach or as a writer or as a, you know, whatever, I I think that, that, you know, if I'm not, I'm not going to be relevant if I'm not anticipating what the needs of people are just like uh, I think Zig Ziglar was such, so great at anticipating what, what people were going to need to be successful. And uh, he, 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 and he was able to say it in a, in a way that was so understandable and so, uh, you know, he could just, he just knew how to
0: hit the, hit the mark. Well, he, he, he absolutely did say it uh, specifically. And and I'm a little irritated at him and you who have that voice alone as a brand. I, I don't have that. I, <laughs> you got, I, I want a voice like Zig Ziglar or Pierce Mars. Uh, Cause it's a brand in and of itself. All right. Well, seventh question here, what is your plan? And that sounds super basic, but I don't think people conceive the value of it. So take us through that. All right, here's what happens,
1: okay? So they asked all these questions. They beat these people, you know, bloody all through this whole presentation and negotiation. And then all of a sudden, Robert Herjavec, he's he's probably been the guy that's asked this question more than anything. He'll look straight at the entrepreneur and he'll say, what's next? Where do you go from here? And the reason he's asking that question, he wants to know, am I going to be able to believe in your vision and where you're going so that I can come along this ride with you? Mm-hmm. And so what, time, what happens at that point is somebody says, well, I, I've been on Amazon and I've been on my own website. And I, you know, I'm really doing well. I'm making a lot of money, but I really want to go into retail. <laughs> and and then, you, then you'll get a, sometimes a, a gasp or a sigh from all the sharks because they think that's the worst idea. Mm-hmm. Because you, like we talked about earlier, you, you create a whole lot more issues when you go start going and dealing with wholesale and dealing with companies and doing all that. And so if they can't agree on where you're going, they won't come along for the ride. What that means to you as a personal entrepreneur is that every time I sit down in a coaching session, Kevin, I want to know three things. I want to know where are you now? And then my next question is where do you want to go? What where do you, where does this come? You see this company three years or five years from now. What do you What is your vision for that? And as soon as we have that set, then we can start creating a plan to get you there. It's just like the lady that I told you, Eco She's in the book. She said, "I want to sell my business," and I said, "Okay, all right." So the, the, we're, here's where we are. You want to sell your business in two years, all right? In order to do that we've got to do these things. And so we went to work and while I was finishing this book, I got a text message from her that said, I just signed my contract to sell my business. And, and I, I was able to go full circle with her while I was creating this book. So how, how important it is to know w- with the business that you're working with your partner, I mean, you've got something in your mind about where you want to go. And mm-hmm. if you don't sit down and ask yourself those questions on a regular basis, where are we, where do we want to go? and how we're going to get there. You, it's not its not a one-time thing. You throw it in the drawer and then check it in a couple of years and see if you made it. It's a constant process of asking the question of where you want to go and making the decisions and getting counsel about those decisions so if you believe they're the right decisions. Um, there's a great story. One of, one of my best friends, Jason Cruz, he's a pastor. He's a great man. Um, he had a business idea and he... In his mind, he had it all laid out. He believed it would work. He knew what he wanted to happen in five to ten years. And he went to nine nine people of the most successful people he knew. And whatever he, he measured success in, he believed, he respected these nine people the most. He went to each one of them and presented the idea. And this is the question he asked. He says, tell me why this won't work. Hmm. Don't give me a bunch of stuff about it being a great idea. And yeah, you ought to go for it. I want you to tell me, tear this apart. Tell me why I shouldn't do it. Why it's a mistake. Well, he got a thumbs up from nine people and he went on and, and, and it, it happened just like clockwork. It was a great business. It it succeeded and did well, but he was willing to say, I'll let you tell me what I don't want in this business. Mm -hmm. So, um, that is why you have to have a plan.
0: How many, uh, curious of the people who present on Shark Tank, how many of them have a viable answer to that question? What would you guess? I would say,
1: I would say that um, nowadays, more than they used to, uh, as the show has progressed over the past 11 seasons, people have gotten smarter. Yeah and they're more prepared. Okay. Uh, in the early days, very few of them ever gave a good answer for that. I would say it's more than half now that have a, a viable plan. They all have a plan. It's just a matter of whether they believe, the sharks believe it's the right plan. And, and sometimes the sharks are right, and sometimes they're not. But the thing is, the, to me, the smartest people that leave Shark Tank, if they go out of there and they don't get a deal, and they're doing the interview, the smartest people will take their advice. They'll say, you know what? I'm going to consider what they told me. I'm going to, this hour and a half that I've had with these five millionaires and billionaires, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to go back and break it down and I'm going to study and I'm going to make the changes that I need to make because they've been there. They know more
0: than me. Yeah. I'm going to listen to what they have to say. So those are the seven questions. Now, in the book, you've got an eighth bonus question Should your business give back? Tell me about that mm-hmm. one.
1: Well, the reason that I put that in there, um, because there's a lot of companies that have been very successful, like Tom's Shoes, for example, mm-hmm. that has, you know, they their business was started, you know, because he saw a need. He said, you know what, I'm gonna start a shoe company and I'm gonna give away a pair of shoes for every time somebody buys a pair of shoes. And, and, and that was something that came from his heart, yeah. uh, his, you know, his purpose, you know, he wanted to do that. And more and more of the businesses are building their, and at least you know a percentage of their profits are going to to help uh, certain things. One successful business uh, when she she was going through a very hard time in her life um, she she prayed that if the business was ever successful, she wanted to build orphanages in a third world country hmm. and and since she did a deal with Barbara Cork and her and her husband. They've built multiple orphanages over there. It's on their website. It's the center point of what they do. Yeah, they've got this great, great products that everybody loves, but the center point of what they're the most proud of is how they have been able to take their success and help those orphans over there in that other country. So wow. it, it to me, it, it needed to be said that um, you need to be profitable. You need to build a business that's successful so you can take a portion of those profits and do something good with them because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I obviously am a fan of the book. I'm a fan of you, Pierce. I mean, sales is, you know, it's what made Zig Ziglar uh, who he was and started him on his journey. It's a a focus we can never have enough of here. And uh, I appreciate who you are, how you do it. And uh, grateful that you put this together. It's just, it's great advice this is the you know the concept how we perceive our businesses that i see well i'll raise my hand i have not done well so many times and i've had businesses that have suffered not even that they haven't gone on to succeed to some standpoint but we uh, you know had to endure a lot of challenges we wouldn't have if we had done this so i'm grateful for this it's a great offering to the Ziglar audience and thank you for being here and thanks for giving us your time
1: yeah it was uh, it was really there was a moment kevin when i when I asked myself, do I want to finish this? Because it took me a while, it took yeah. me longer than I meant to. I said, is this the project worthwhile? Because I've done nine years of podcasting and I've got, I, I just feel like somebody would, it, it's, you know, it's, uh, it, it, sales is my main thing. Communication is my main thing, but I just felt like I had to tell myself and I had to pray about it. And I, I said, you know, this needs to be finished. Yeah, I, I, I need to finish this because I believe it'll help somebody. And so that's the, that's the reason I did it and I am honored that you would have me on this show and uh, and and get to spend some time with you. and not seen you in forever, so oh, yeah. I,
0: I thank you so much, brother. Hey, I'm honored to be the messenger. Thank you. Thanks for everybody who tuned in. Well, there you go, friends. Such a solid show on sales and business and faith with Pierce Mars. Uh, Pierce again, his new book. Could you survive Shark Tank and his surviving Shark Tank assessment? You can get him at Shark Tank Book. Dot com and also connect there with him about his coaching and speaking. We're coming up in episode 794, what will your new normal be? I mean, most everyone's lives have been significantly disrupted in 2020 by COVID-19. The concept of a new normal is a hot topic as many businesses have now reopened. Uh, I, of course, wanted to hear from you. So I posted a question on my personal Facebook page at Agent K miller where you're welcome to join these weekly discussions but i ask what aspects of your new normal do you want to retain even if things are to get back to the way that they theoretically were uh, from the submissions some of the aspects we covered you know questions will you work from home continue to work from home or work more from home will you send your kids back to school and all the extracurricular activities and rushing around will you eat out as much or keep cooking more at home How uh, about personal time for yourself and your family are you going to keep that up What about investing in any hobbies and personal projects that you began reading? People have been doing that more. Will you continue the increased outside time? These issues and so many more are what Tom Ziegler and I read through and talked about. It brings up the need and opportunity for all of us to ask some big questions and ponder some important and I think exciting decisions. Uh, It's happening for me right now in my own family. Well, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.